The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Lord, may our hearts not be quiet, Lord. May we proclaim your people, your praises, Father. May we rest in you. You have done great things, Father. Open our eyes to the ways that you are working in our hearts and our lives.
Good morning, church. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, oftentimes when we, we take communion, there's a lot of things going on in each of our lives and that type of thing. And this morning, I just wanted to take a few minutes to remind us that Jesus gave us the Lord's Supper. So we might feed on and be refreshed by Him. You know, that, that in itself is pretty powerful. But too often we have a view of the Lord's Supper that overly self-reflective and it's guilt-driven. A lot of times we think this is primarily about what I need to do to fix things. I need to remember and confess every sin I've committed this past week. I need to feel guilty for how far short have I fallen. We make the Lord's Supper about us and our sin instead of Jesus and His grace. Don't get me wrong, the Bible says communion is a privilege and only for His children walking with Him. If you're not a follower of Christ, then let the elements pass. And if you are a believer, but you know you're in a place of willful disobedience, then you need to deal with that before taking the meal. But for most of us following Christ this morning, the reality is we come in here Sunday probably aware of how sinful and undeserving we are, me included. We bring our burdens and our pains in here, and we need God to refresh us with His grace. We bring our doubts, our fears into the room, and we need God to grant us assurance. We come aware of our sin and how messy we are, and we need the gospel of free grace applied to our hearts. And that is exactly why God gave us the Lord's Supper. This isn't what we do once we've gotten things right in our end. We do it believing God makes us right through the body of the blood of Jesus. Yes, this is a time of confess your sins, but instead of trying to clean yourself up or staying in a place of guilt, there in your seats, come to Jesus in the Lord's Supper as the act of faith where you say He is the answer. And He alone is what I need. The Lord's Supper is not about our worthiness or our fitness about the worthiness of Jesus and how He in His amazing grace makes us to fit. We just need to sit at God's table. As you eat and drink this morning, do this with an awareness that Jesus is still today, in this moment, a sufficient Savior for all of our sins. And He is offering to us grace to help any situation we're up against. As we take these physical objects, the bread and the juice, may God give us a powerful taste of the forgiveness and fullness of Jesus for us. The supper is an invitation, not for those who've got things under control or good people. It's an invitation for the sinful, the weak, the Christians in need of Christ's grace. Jesus invites us to come to Him in the Lord's Supper 
All who are thirsty, come. All who are weak and wounded, come. All who are aware of their sin and need grace, come now. Just remember, every one of us is a sinner saved by grace. And this is just a remembrance of that grace that Jesus gave to us. So when you take these elements today, take that into mind and into heart. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and we praise you for this grace that you showed to us. That you allow us the opportunity to sit at your table. Father, we just ask this morning that you be with all those here, all those that are unable to be with us today. Father, open up hearts and minds as the message is given this morning. That if there is anyone here that needs you, that they may call upon you. Father, we thank you and we praise you for this. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I love sunglasses. Anybody that knows me knows I absolutely love sunglasses. I like having two, three, 14 pairs of sunglasses. And so I needed, no, the, the, the word air quotes, needed a new pair of sunglasses for this summer. And so I got these. Now, I don't get super expensive ones because chances are I'm going to lose them in the ocean, but I, I did get these. Now, these are special because they're polarized. So if you have polarized lenses, that's meant to reduce glare. Now, these may look cool. They're knockoff Ray-Bans. Don't tell anybody. But uh, they, they're not polarized. They, they don't reduce glare. It's just full on. They just look good. Again, I'm kind of a shallow person when it comes to this, and so there we are. Um, but I'm kind of getting ahead of myself when I say it depends on the lens how you see things. So uh, our close friends, Josh and Carrie, took us to Jekyll Island off the coast of Georgia. And this right here is Driftwood Beach that you see back there. And so Josh filled me in on this beach. It's formed by the north end of Jekyll Island slowly eroding. The, the sand is being deposited on the south end of the island. So essentially the island is moving ever so slightly to the south. Sand grain by sand grain. Oh, and, and the driftwood isn't actually driftwood. These trees on the beach here were once live oaks that were flourishing until erosion caught up with them. And so they look like driftwood bleached by the sun. Pretty crazy. Now, this beach here used to be called Deadwood Beach. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm a brand guy, and I love the idea of marketing, and, and I love a good name, a good hook for something. Deadwood does not sound appealing to me. I would not go to a beach called Deadwood Beach unless I was on some so, sort of ghost tour. I just wouldn't do it, right? And, and so this is what happened. They agreed with me. Well, not I didn't give them information, but they agreed long, long ago with me that that was a terrible name, and they renamed it Driftwood Beach. When they renamed it Driftwood Beach, this beach became one of the top ten wedding sites in Georgia. In fact, it's one of the top 10 visited beaches in the U.S. Now, the beach may be slowly eroding, but it didn't change. People just saw it differently. 
What lens do you see life through? The lens matters, just like my sunglasses here. There's different lenses that we look through every single day. Do you, do you look through the lens of victory or defeat? Do you look through the lens of redeemed or doomed? Do you look through the lens of deadwood or driftwood? And finally, do you look through the lens of foolish or faith-filled? The lens matters. I'd like to welcome all of you online. If you're watching with us, thank you so much. On the radio, all of you here in the building. Um, this quote from last week really got me thinking, which road closely resembles your faith? There's three different directions here. And on any given day, I could be going in any one of those directions, right? Sometimes I put God in a box. Well, if you can... Sometimes I plead with him, you know, if you will. If you will do this, maybe I'll, I'll do this. Maybe I'll follow through. You know, Wes just finished talking about it. It's a, it's a works-based that we start to do, and it's not about that in our journey with Jesus. And then there's the even if he doesn't. And that's difficult, depending on the season. We're going to talk more about faith today. We're going to look at a very familiar story, but I'll tell you, it took a totally different turn that I did not see coming. So Luke chapter 24 is where we will be. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 35 this morning. We are on the journey to Emmaus. So I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Um, and here we go. Chapter 24, starting at verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened these, there in these days? And he said to them, I love this response, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our, complete, uh, our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. 
He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road? while he opened us, opened to us the scriptures. And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. May we be blessed by the reading of the word this morning. So here is what we know. There were two disciples on the road, one named Cleopas. Now, there is some speculation about the who, about who the second disciple was. I'm not chasing that rabbit today. Okay? Uh, they were traveling from Jerusalem back to Emmaus. Now, if you are a speed walker like my wife, chances are you could probably do that in about two hours. Seven miles in about two hours. That's going pretty quick, right? Uh, so let's say three, three and a half. They're walking back to Emmaus. It said they were conversing with each other. Now, I think conversing is too, uh, not quite strong enough. Actually, the Greek there is suzeteo, which literally means tossing words. They were arguing. They were vehemently discussing and trying to get to the bottom of the things that they had experienced over the last three days and the things that they have heard. You see, they had hoped that Jesus would redeem Israel. I love that only one disciple is named in this account. And I would invite you to be the other disciple on this walk today. What were you talking about? What were you discussing? How did you feel? I'll tell you what, I'm not a good waiter. Actually, I'm a really great waiter. I worked at Bennigan's and Red Lobster. I was really great at it, actually. Very personable, made good tips. I'm not talking about that waiter. I'm talking about waiting in the Lord. I'm not good at waiting. If, even if I don't know where I'm going, I'm going to get up and go anyway. My wife gives me the hardest time all the time. What are you doing right now? Do you know where we're going? No. I'll know when we get there, I guess. You know, I just got to start moving. I just got to start looking. I'm not even worried about anything else, but... The thing I need to remember is he is at work in the waiting. Just because I'm not moving doesn't mean the Lord is not moving, right? He is moving in ways that I can't even see. He is at work in the waiting. He's at work in the waiting as you and Cleopas are on the journey to Emmaus. You had no idea that he had really risen. In fact, they mentioned three days in the Jewish tradition... Three days means the soul has left the body. Soul hovered around, according to tradition, the body for about three days. Some say three to seven. After three days, it was a done deal. Dead. Deader than dead. There's no coming back from that. And so, while they were talking, Jesus appeared. While you were talking, Jesus appeared. Only, only you had no idea that it was, was Jesus. 
So uh, imagine the scene. It doesn't say that Jesus immediately speaks up. He just joins the disciples and then he's just walking with them, right? And then after a little bit, Jesus just asks a question. He's like, uh, what are you guys talking about? And they stop what they're doing and, and they're downcast. You can tell they're, they're very upset. And Cleopas says something to the effect of, you're either not from here or you live under a rock. How in the world could you not know what had happened. So they tell the story. It's interesting that they're not really afraid of the backlash. I mean, they don't know this guy, right? They're saying it anyway. Because to them, the story's over. To them, the story's ended. To them, Jesus is gone. So they share the story. And they say, and just this morning, the women said the angels appeared to them. And they said Jesus was alive. How could that be? Friends, the empty tomb is full of the promises of God. In fact, the promises of God are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And and, and so when we come before the empty tomb, the lens matters. How do we see the empty tomb? Do Do we see him as a risen savior or do we see him as a taken body, stolen from the tomb? in cover of darkness, how we see it is absolutely important. And so this is where my journey kind of took a turn. I don't really know how it came about, but I started thinking and speculating about what these two on the journey were doing. And I asked this question, why was the empty tomb not enough? Now, hear me out. This is speculation. If they had already heard about Jesus' resurrection that it just happened that morning, chances are they were in his inner circle, right? I mean, this is not public knowledge. They did not blast it on Twitter, right? This is not current news for everybody. It's just current news for his inner circle. And if they were in his inner circle, then they would have been privy to the healing, the miracles, the resurrections after three days, right? They would have seen all that. But then, but then Jesus resurrected himself. I mean, how, how, how could that be? You know, they, they wondered how God could make that work. Here's the other thing. If these disciples were with Jesus, they would know scripture. They would have read it over and over and over again. But Jesus calls them foolish Here's a tough question for me and for you as we're traveling with Cleopas on the way to Emmaus. If they had faith to believe Jesus was alive, why were they walking away? Why were they leaving Jerusalem? Why wouldn't they have just stayed there with the other disciples? I mean, it would have been a party, right? Jesus is more than a prophet. He's a savior. And that day, what they heard was not the end of hope, but the beginning. Now, they couldn't have seen that. But we know that, right? That day, all hope was not lost. It was just beginning to bloom, to blossom. The future is now wide open. 
So here comes a question, because I feel like the disciples on the road to Emmaus had lost hope. They had kind of given up. So um, what happens? What happens when we lose hope? Let's look at it. So hope is confident expectation, right? It's expecting with confidence that something's going to happen. And Laurel just read in Hebrews 11.1 1, what, the, what the definition of faith was. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, right? It's the conviction of things not seen. They hoped Jesus would lead them to victory. What do you hope for? Today, what do you long to see? I'd like to say something. I I don't want it to be subversive, but I believe on the journey our faith will be shaken. Now some of you are saying, come on, Franklin, you're being a bit of an Eeyore right now. Like, could you pep it up a little bit? A little more life-giving? Okay. Be more positive, maybe? Fine. I'm positive that on the journey, (laughs) our faith will be shaken. Life is hard. Life does not always turn out the way we thought it would be. And try as we might, we're always going to fall short a little bit. The lens matters. And so what lens do we look through? Uh, I asked permission from this family if I could speak about this young man today. Um, his name is Ezra. Uh, they live in Colorado. We were uh, actually visiting uh, family there in Colorado when I met him last year. Now, I, I met him only briefly. I think I waved to him. Ezra was laying down on uh, the front porch when we drove up. He was tired. Uh, they weren't really sure what was going on. There was a, a lack of iron in the blood. Who knows? Uh, his dad's a pastor there in Colorado. Um, his mom's a, 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 a mighty woman of God. They've, they've got uh, three sons that are amazing. And right after we left Colorado to come back home, um, Ezra got his diagnosis. He was diagnosed with leukemia, cancer, senior in high school, getting ready to start his senior year. Now, I have a pretty close honorary son that is starting his senior year. And my son's 16. So uh, immediately I I felt a connection to them and I signed up on Caring Bridge to get information. Has anybody done Caring Bridge before? It's awesome. It's just a website that they set up and then they they send updates to you. If you're on their list, they don't have to send an email to 50 different people. They post it there. So throughout throughout this this time, Ezra is uh, is fighting. He's fighting with everything that he has. And, and he's getting stronger day by day. I mean, this guy was a soccer player. He's super athletic. Used to run in five, six miles up and down the field. And now he's, he's getting out of boys for doing a mile walking some days. Two at a slow jog. By some miracle, he finishes high school. He takes his classes. And so he begins to think about university coming up. 
And so he uh, gets scholarships and everything else. He's still moving forward. He's still posting. In fact, you can see who posts on Caring Bridge. You can see if it's him, his mom, or his dad. It'll say right at the very top there. And I don't know if you've been around very many teenage boys, but they sure don't pull punches with their words. They say how they feel most times. Uh, And hopefully it's nice, but if it isn't, then sorry about it, right? And I love that about Caden, about Jaden, about these, these high school boys that I'm super close to. And I saw that in Ezra. And Ezra continued to post and saying, hey, this day has been really hard. I don't know what's going to happen, this and that. And then finally his bone marrow transplant came up. It was a success. He was in remission. And all of a sudden the updates sloped off, which was good, right? I mean, no news is good news. And then uh, in July, the update started again. And so I finally checked uh, after a few days of them just coming one after another. and um, He had relapsed. The cancer had come back. And his mom, um, his mom said it this way in a prayer request. Please pray for Ezra to find his fight. Because Ezra is tired. I mean, essentially he's starting from ground zero. You know this, right? Essentially it's like the bone marrow transplant didn't even work. Essentially, this means that everything he did before, knowing what he knows about chemo, he's going to have to walk through it every single step of the way. So what does his faith look like? On this journey, your faith will be shaken. On this journey, my faith will be shaken. But the lens matters. I pray that today you find your fight, that you don't give up. That you know that God has promises for you. And you know that you're going to see that through for his glory. And like I said, teenage boys are pretty honest. You know where you stand with them. And and he posted the other day. And Ezra sends this. Thank you all for reading a pretty open, honest journal entry. None of this means I am doubting my faith. Because I absolutely am not. I'm just asking questions, which is hopefully only strengthening my faith. I was, I was visiting with Marie, so preparing for sermon this weekend, and we were talking about hope and faith and, and what that looks like. And in her Bible study, she had this incredible definition of faith, and I'd like to share it for, with you now. It says, two truths stand in tension, peacefully coexisting. Faith is a work, and faith is a gift. Faith is work, and faith is a gift. So the question becomes for each and every one of us today, because remember, we're the other one with Cleopas on the walk. What are you doing to work out the gift of your faith? What are you doing today to work that out in your heart? Which reminded me back in the day, right? Those cool bracelets, WWJD, right? Probably came out sometime in the 90s, and I'll tell you, anybody who was anybody had that bracelet, right? In the brightest color possible, maybe even five, all said the same thing. It didn't matter. 
What am I going to do? Well, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do, right? And it says that Jesus is our example. In his scripture, it says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He's the finisher of our faith. And I think that what's really cool here is he gives us a very practical example of what to do when our faith is shaken. Because Jesus begins with Moses and the prophets. And he reveals himself through scripture. The first practical example, the first practical thing that we do as Christians in order for our faith to remain strong in the person of our Lord and Savior is to stay in the Word. We've got to read our Bible, right? What's the best translation, the best version of the Bible, Franklin? I would submit to you it's the one you read. If it's just collecting dust on a shelf, it doesn't matter very much which version you read. And when you're in the word, there is logos and there is rhema. Logos is the written word, right? Rhema is what happens each time I read a verse. Every single time I read a passage of scripture, depending on where I am in my life, it speaks to me in a different way. The Holy Spirit is moving in me to reveal something deeper that I missed before. And here's the thing. The disciples had read the disciples knew scripture, but he still called them foolish. And the reason why he called them foolish is because they didn't understand scripture. And you can't get there on your own. Only the Holy Spirit working through you can give you a fresh revelation of his word. The Bible is much more than a proof text or a really great reference book. Read it. Read passages of Scripture. Read books of the Bible. And then read them again. And after they get pretty far away, they're, they're getting close to Emmaus, and I love this. Jesus is like, oh, hey, I'm just going to walk a few more. And the disciples are like, hey, why don't you come over for dinner? And Jesus is like, I thought you'd never ask. Like, I knew that was coming. So Jesus goes to their house. Here's the coolest thing about the whole thing. Although Jesus is invited as a guest, he reverses the roles and he becomes host at their table. And he takes the bread and he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he gives it to them. And it says their eyes were uncovered. We see this many times in Scripture. We, we saw this as we talked about uh, Balaam and the donkey, where his eyes were uncovered and he saw the angel of the Lord. We see this numerous times in Scripture where the, our eyes are uncovered and we see the world as it really is. And the significance here is the table was uh, the place for fellowship in the ancient world. And so... Again, WWJD, what would Jesus do? He would invite them to the table. <laughs> Doesn't matter who they are, invite them anyway. And while they were sitting at the table, he calls us to pray a blessing over them in the name of Jesus Christ.
he calls us to break bread with one another and then just sit and listen. How many times are people at the end of their rope and you know good and well that they need just a reminder that Jesus loves them. And instead, if you're like me, you do this pose. You know what this pose means if I'm talking to you right there? This means I'm getting ready to go that way. This means we should probably wrap it up. Open. Facing them. Talking to them. Lifting them up. Speaking life. The wonderful thing about Caring Bridge is not only do I get updates, I'm able to share encouragement with them. Hey, we're praying for you in New Mexico. The power of, of an invitation to the table is astounding. My dad would invite all kinds of people to our house to eat. And my mom, the reason why she makes so much food even now is because she never knew how many people were going to come to dinner. Oh, this guy's getting ready to go on the bus, and I just brought him over. No call. I mean, it was before cell phones. Hope we have enough. We always did. And the older I get, the more I understand that we need Jesus and we need each other. We need Jesus and we need each other. No man is an island unto himself. I think that's John Don. You need other people in your life, holding you accountable, speaking life into you. If you have, 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 have kept yourself in some sort of box or a bubble, it's time to take that step forward. It's time to connect. It's time to, to, to allow yourself to be moved by others and to move with others for the glory of God. Don't wait. And just like that, Jesus vanished from their sight. He's gone. So let me tell you what they didn't do. The disciples didn't go looking for him. They didn't second guess about who it was they just saw. They knew that it was Jesus. There was no APB put out for him. We've got to find Jesus. No, no, no. They weren't thinking about that at all. But what they did say was this, and I love this. Didn't our hearts burn when he was revealing scripture to us? Didn't your heart burn when you thought you were at the end of your rope and, and some sort of peace came over you? Didn't your heart burn when you read the scripture and it comes alive in a whole other way? Didn't your heart burn when you met with somebody at Walmart and all of a sudden they left and you said, I just talked with Jesus. A burning heart signifies an inner transformation. So, Here's not a tough question. Here's a softball, slow pitch question. Actually, they pitch really fast in softball, don't they? I don't know. I don't do softball or baseball. Never mind. I should stop talking. Do you believe Jesus is alive? Show of hands. Why not? Raise your hand. If you believe Jesus is alive, that's a tenet of our faith. If you don't believe Jesus is alive, then, then, then you need that as a foundation. You start from there and then everything else falls into place. You have to believe that the resurrection is the resurrection. That he died on the cross, that he was risen from the grave. You have to believe that. Follow-up question, a little bit harder. 
You don't have to raise your hand. Do you live like it? This is what happens when Jesus disappears and these two disciples are left with what they do next. They get up and they travel back. They go tell somebody. And this journey is very different. This is not downcast. This is, this is upbeat. This is what's going to happen next. This is, I'm not sure, but I'm, I'm going with Jesus, right? My ride or die. He's not just a prophet. He is my savior. They didn't wait until morning. I'm not even sure if they waited until they finished the food. So another tough question, since we're asking them, is Jesus at the heart of your searching? Now, uh, everybody in here, I would venture a guess, is searching for something today. Some of us are are searching for healing. Uh, We've been betrayed and words can cut pretty deep. Whoever said that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me was lying, right? Words hurt. And some of us are searching for peace, for healing from those words, those relationships gone back. Some of us are, are searching for answers. Why does this keep happening to me? Why, why do I keep falling into this sin? Why can't I just turn the corner? Why is my life not working out the way I thought it was? Some of us are, are searching for a miracle. We've had a, a difficult diagnosis. We're walking through cancer. I mean, we've got somebody in the hospital right now. We're, we're looking at a career change for whatever reason or other. We're praying for divine intervention. Do you live like Jesus is alive? Is he at the heart of your search? Whatever happens next, even if I have a difficult diagnosis, even if I'm taking the next step into, into the unknown, even if... I want it to count. I want it to bring God glory. Even if a relationship has gone sour, I'm going to settle in and do the difficult task of reconciliation in order to bring God glory. Even if he answers the miracle in a different way than I thought he would have, I'm going to use that story to bring God glory that is what it means to have Jesus at the heart of your search whatever happens next I want it to bring him glory I had uh, verse 36 that we were going to read through today we didn't read through 36 but um, the first thing that Jesus says Jesus appears to the disciples in that room after Cleopas and you come back in Um, and the first thing that he says is peace to you peace Irene is is much like shalom in Hebrew Irene Greek shalom Hebrew both essentially meaning the same thing it's much more than peace it's it's completeness it's it's wholeness with every fiber of your being it's this this flow mental spiritual emotional physical everything tied together 
peace to you. The lens matters. The lens you look through. One of my favorite Erwin McManus quotes. We do not see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. How do you see the world? If the lens matters, do you see the world living like Jesus is alive? I was reading this morning as the team comes back up and came across my new favorite word, kingdom carrier. I love it. Carrying the kingdom of Jesus with us. Carrying the kingdom to a, to a hurting world. Carrying the kingdom and knowing that I carry the kingdom, knowing that I am more than my circumstances. Amen? That my potential is in Him, not in what the world sees. And as I move and I breathe and I take my being in His heart, in His time, then He is at the end of my searching. I am a kingdom carrier. In our life, our faith may be shaken, but it will not be taken. It will not be taken from us. How do we stay rooted in Him? If faith is a gift and faith is work, we stay in the Word. We, we, we connect with others on this journey, knowing that we can't do it on our own. We carry the name of Jesus with us. We started this day with the question, what do you see? I see people searching for Jesus. I see people ready to change this community, this world. I see kingdom carriers ready to proclaim the gospel no matter what comes next. Will you make room for him as we finish today? Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.